Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. And now to honor America, especially the brave men and women serving our nation in the Persian Gulf and throughout the world, please join in the singing of our national anthem. The anthem will be followed by a flyover of F-16 jets from the 56th Tactical Training Wing at MacDill Air Force Base and will be performed by the Florida Orchestra under the direction of Maestro Yaha Ling and sung by Grammy Award winner Whitney Houston. Welcome to Our Own Voices Live, and that was Whitney Houston, the late, great Whitney Houston, with her unique rendition of our national anthem, the Star-Spangled Banner. Our show today 
is titled The Unique Meaning of the 4th of July for One Vet. And that one vet is me, yours truly. So that gives you a little bit about what the show is going to be about. And I want to thank you all for joining us. Normally we come on at 1230 on the West Coast and 330 on the East Coast each Sunday. Uh, As many of you know, I ran for office and trying to get back my routine of living. Hopefully next Saturday we will be back on the air at 1230. I'm going to try to keep it as short as I can today, but I do want to share this unique perspective of the 4th of July for some of you who do not know my story, but even though it's my story, to a certain extent it's the story of many veterans. And a part of this is just just to remind us, and I'm sure we don't need that reminder, most of us, but for some, a slight reminder that the freedoms that we enjoy are not free and that there is someone who does make a sacrifice so that we can have these freedoms. And, you know, as you're having your uh, barbecue, which I hope I get some, (laughs) and you're sitting back drinking a cold one, maybe reflect a little bit that there's someone, somewhere, someone's son, someone's daughter who's standing watch so that you could enjoy the relaxation, maybe some time off, or maybe even just some peace and quiet. And if that someone is out there serving you right then. So let me tell you a little bit about Our Own Voices Live. Our Own Voices Live is a radio show featuring people and stories from our community in Las Vegas, the surrounding area, and someplace near you. America is the greatest country on earth due to its cultural diversity and not in spite of it. Our mission is to help bridge the culture and ethnic divide by working together to build the greatest bridge in history to unite us. And some of the ways that we do that is with radio shows like Our Own Voices Live on Block Talk Radio, but we also have Our Own Voices Magazine, both print and digital, which is how Our Own Voices Live got started. We also have Our Own Voices Live com where you can find the blog style and digital edition of Our Own Voices, the magazine, and, of course, link you right here. And you can find us on Facebook at Our Own Voices Live and on Twitter at Our Own Voices. So we have a lot of the social media covered, and we add stuff during the week, and I hope that you will too. And maybe you can tell us some of your favorite dishes that you like to make on the 4th of July and something that you like to eat. Because I can tell you, when I was in the desert, food was definitely on my mind. Mm, 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 mm. I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. And I had breakfast this morning. And you know, the, the interesting thing about food is it's the taste, it's the look, but it's the smell. And the reason why I say smell is because smell is the one scent that is tied into our memory. And when I was over in the desert, I could almost smell the barbecue. But unfortunately, there was a lot of other stuff that happened before the fourth. And the reason why I wanted to do this show today, as I mentioned earlier, 
was to share my experience of coming home because I actually left the desert on the 4th of July. As a matter of fact, it was the early morning on the 4th of July, 1996. That's right. Remember it like it was yesterday. And I remember when I got on the rotator, I I couldn't really walk, and I was on crutches, and I was trying to make it up the the aircraft uh, stairway, and I'd never really walked on crutches upstairs before. And my legs were, I guess at the time they weren't fully paralyzed because I, I was able to put some weight on them. didn't really have a lot of control of it. And, you know, it was like a lot of people there. And because there was so much fanfare with me leaving, a few extra people were there. And as I managed to climb the stairs with the crutches, trying to keep from falling backwards, and thinking that I'm finally on my way home, I remember once I got to the top of the stairs, kind of half-turned because I was still trying to learn how to use the crutches, and I looked over my shoulder and I looked at all those who were still there and some of them who were cheering for me and others. And I just, there was a certain relief, but not a full relief. And then I turned to continue my way onto the plane and they, just because of, you know, the, they're really cattle cars, but they did have a first-class section, first-class section. Now, I'm going to tell you, in all of my years of living, I had never flown in first class. But on my return home from the desert, they put me in first class. Now, I didn't come home from any place in Germany or England, I came home directly from the desert. And I shared a little bit of my story last week when I talked about how I got injured. And go really into too much detail of it now, other than to say that even when I was walking up those stairs, because The wounds were so deep in my legs, and it was multiple wounds. And I had been there so long. And the water in the Middle East isn't like the cleanest water in the world. You know, we should give thanks just for cleaning the standards here in America. But my wounds got infected while I was there. And it caused, you know, your uniforms are a little baggy on your legs and stuff. My uniform around my legs was tight. Didn't realize why it was tight. And I'll, I'll tell you why a little bit later, but I got on the plane and there was flies swarming because my wounds had broke open. Now, mind you, I had been there for a number of days after I was injured. Uh, one, because they didn't know where I was. Two, once they found out where I was and once I got back to the, the base, the compound, and I, I got treatment, and it was big, big shout out to my special forces brothers and sisters at the time, brothers who uh, stitched me up right in the field, probably saved my life. I probably would have bled out. 
but it was a field stitch. So it wasn't meant to be permanent. Uh, but because I was gone from the compound so long, it wound up being permanent, at least until I got back to the States. And once I I got back, and I remember the flight was long. Oh, my goodness. I think, I think it was 22 hours. But the interesting thing about the flight is that you're crossing time zones, and it's almost as if you're going back in time. So even though time is progressing, right, because it always moves forward, but because I'm going back in the opposite direction on the time zones, I picked up some time. Now, I don't remember the exact hours, but I do know that when I left, it was shortly after midnight, on July 4th, 1996. And when I got home, I don't know exactly what time it was when I got home. I guess I could figure that out. But it was the 4th of July still, two-hour flight. And it was the 4th of July in the daytime. And even though I was sitting in first class, I was the last one to exit the plane. And as I drug, now, mind you, I slept almost the entire flight. 22-hour flight, I slept almost the entire flight. I think I woke up once to go to the restroom, I think. And I probably got something to drink. I don't think I ate anything on the flight. I really didn't feel much in my legs, so I can't. I'm not able to say whether it was comfortable or not, but I didn't really feel anything. So they would put me in first class so that I would have leg foam to stretch out my legs, but I'd have to use my hand and sort of cuff it under my calf to stretch my legs out. And then when I wanted to retract my legs, I had to put my hand just below my knee and sort of pull my leg back, retract my leg. And but there wasn't a lot of that going on because, as I said, I slept most of the flight. And this was on the 4th of July. See, I didn't get a chance to think about what were people doing back at home, mainly because I was sleeping. And when I was awake, I was groggy. I don't even remember taking any medication because medication was hard to come by where I was. I, I just slept. And I remember... When I woke up, I was being woken up, and I was told that I was back in the United States, and I was very groggy, and I remember when they opened the cabin doors after the plane had pulled up, still groggy, and I knew it was going to take me a while to get up and to maneuver. Plus, my crutches were where the flight attendants were, and they were you know, helping people exit the aircraft. So I just sat there patiently, and in, the, in that time I was waking myself up, still not fully aware that I was back in the States and what that meant. But after the last person started walking off the plane, I remember asking for my crutches, 
and trying to get up, and my legs just weren't working. And the flight attendants, they helped me, and they helped me maneuver off the plane as best as they could. And then there were all of these people with balloons and banners, and they were saying, welcome home. And they were running up to me, and they were hugging me, and, you know, just showing me a lot of love. And this was totally unexpected to me. And the flight attendants are, you know, they're holding me, and I got the crutches, and I'm, you know, I'm just trying to take it all in. And then, the, you know, the guys came with the wheelchair, and they set me down in the wheelchair, and I got a flag stick in one hand. You know, they're tying balloons on the wheelchair. And some family run over to say hi and, and you know, love on me and kiss me and hug me. And I'm still taking it all in. And then someone says, you know, we were here already, but we left. Because we thought your flight was going to come in at one time, and it wound up coming in three hours later or so. And they wheeled me out to the chair, and, you know, I'm still taking it all in. I know I'm glad to be home, though. And they put me into a car, and I don't remember whose car or what car it was. I'm not even sure if it was one of my own vehicles. And there was like a motorcade of people who had come to see me. And welcomed me home. And the motorcade took off and they started heading to the base. Now, on the way coming, before I got home, I did have to change. And I believe it was in Philadelphia. And I never understood, of all places, why Philadelphia. And then I had to change again. I believe it was in Atlanta. And I remember in Philadelphia, you know, I had to, you know, go from one plane to the next. And I'm in the wheelchair. And, you know, they're pushing me. And I had my uniform on because I literally left from the combat theater. And there was there was a woman, an African American lady, with a slight southern accent. I still remember her. And she said, Son, you just coming back from over there? I said, Yes, ma'am. And she says, Well welcome home. I still remember that. As a matter of fact, I get a little choked up. Because I remember the look on her face. You know when people say things to you that are genuine, you feel it? I felt that. As my co-host Angela would say, I felt that. And I, uh, it actually made me feel good. It kind of perked me up. And it started bringing back the reality that I was home. And then when I went down to Atlanta, I believe it was Atlanta, For some reason, I actually had to get my bags off the conveyor so that it could be transferred to the next plane. I don't know why it was like that, but 
I had, you know, I had my A4 bag. Uh, matter of fact, I had like two A4 bags. I think I had a, a A1 bag. So I had three, and you know, I had all my chem gear. This was the real stuff. And my my flag fist, my I, I just left a combat theater and it had all my stuff in it. So the bags were heavy. So I'm in the wheelchair, and you know they have the luggage coming out, and I see my bags. Hard to miss. Big old green A4 bag. I mean, and it's packed too. And uh, you know I didn't have anyone with me at the time. I was I was just in the wheelchair, and I looked around for help, and there really wasn't any help. And I knew I had to make this next claim. And I'm trying to figure out how, but I see my bag, there's nobody getting it. So I see an opening, and I, I pull up to the opening, and I turn my wheelchair to my right, so it's facing to the right. So as the luggage is coming from my left, I'll be able to grab it with my left hand, so my left and right hand, sort of pull it over my lap, and hopefully, you know, be able to place it or throw it down to my right, which is open space. That's my plan anyway. That's my plan. But remember, I'm not used to being in a wheelchair. And one of the first things that you notice in a wheelchair is how low you are and how high everyone else is. And it's a little intimidating. And that was sort of my first lesson of being disabled. And I remember, just like the one lady in Philadelphia welcomed me home and she assisted me, for some reason in the ATL, the people were kind of kind of ignored me, other than when I was in their way. And then it wasn't pleasant. And what I remember on, on this particular occasion is, so my bag comes around, and I'm ready to get the bag. Now, mind you, I've been on a 22-hour flight. And I'm paralyzed more than I knew. So my body has responded how it's responded. I haven't eaten anything but maybe some pretzels. And I go to grab the A4 bag. And I don't know whether it's because I didn't have the right leverage. I was weak from the flight, the injuries, I don't know what it was. But I was not able to lift the bag up. And every time, and I'm trying to lift it up, and, you know, because the conveyor belt is still going. And nobody would help me. And there was some people who were sort of to my right, but I'm facing them now because I have a wheelchair turned that way. And they're getting a little upset with me for trying to get my bags because I guess their bags are right behind mine. Could not lift the bag up, but I'm really determined to get it. But I didn't, and I made an error. I did not lock my wheelchair. I didn't put the brakes on, remember. This is new to me. So those same people that were getting upset with me for not being able to lift my A4 bag up, whose bags were behind mine, who did not help, mind you, 
because I didn't set the park brake on my wheelchair, there are two levers on the side that presses up against the, the rubber wheels. I kept holding on to the bag, thinking I'm going to lift it, and before I realized that I'm not going to be able to lift this bag, because I'm holding on to the bag and it's on the conveyor and the conveyor is still moving, I'm in the wheelchair. The bag is pulling me. I'm in the wheelchair. So it, the wheelchair starts to roll, and I'm just – remember those people who are next to me fussing? The wheelchair takes off, and I start to roll over them. Not, not that it hurt them, but, you know, it moved, you know, they had to move out the way. And it was about maybe three or four of them that I kind of I pushed out of the way with the wheelchair until I remembered, hey, you know, I thought let go of the bag. And, and I let go of the bag, and the bag went around. And, you know, they said some choice words, but then someone realized my predicament. And when the bags came around the next time, uh, someone uh, volunteered to get the bags for me, and I, and I thanked them. And it, the, the uh, airport workers, I don't know where they went, but they, they came and they helped me get the bags off, and they put them on the little tram car thing, and they set me in that, and they took me to where I needed to go. But that was my first experience of being paralyzed in America, was one, people don't see you the same. Because you're in, you know, first of all, you're in a wheelchair, so that is an indication that, you know, something's not right. And I'm still a young man at the time. And I'm in a, so I'm in this wheelchair and I have my uniform on. And this is the 4th of July. And the people at first wouldn't help me get my bags off. And I realized that I was an inconvenience to them. Now, not too many. Uh, days before that, roughly a week or so, I had been blown up. And uh, was someplace where people didn't know where I was. And when my family had finally gotten notified, they were told that I was MIA. And so I could only imagine what they were going through. And, and, and I didn't actually know that at the time. But it, but it, it was my first lesson into the disabled community and what many people, whether they served in the military or not, suffer and have to deal with every day. So I got on to the next flight, and I flew on in. I believe that one took me on into my final destination, and that's where they had everyone waiting, and it was a whole different thing. And the convoy that I was in, once I got home, it took me to the base, but it took me directly to the hospital. And I remember I could hear the it had the, the flashing lights and the siren in immediately. And it didn't dawn on me that it was for me. And I'm thinking, hey, I, I just lost feeling in my legs. I, I'd be all right. And... Uh, It's a holiday, the 4th of July. So it's a skeleton crew, but they had gotten word that I was coming, and they didn't know exactly what type of shape I was in, so they had a bunch of doctors. I remember there were a bunch of people in scrubs and specialists, and 
they had to lift me up and carry me because I, you know, by this time I just couldn't walk. I, I'm still trying to. I, I'm still trying to figure out why my legs aren't moving at all. Before I could move them some, but I just couldn't move them at all. And they lift me up and they put me on, I guess, the bed, the gurney. Then they move me someplace else. And it was like a flurry of people around me. And you know, there's a, I mean, there's like I said, there's just bunches of people all around me, and they're, they're taking my blood pressure, they're taking my temperature, they're poking something in me, and you know, it's just a, there's a lot of stuff going, a lot of action. And I remember when it came to taking my 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 pants off, my bottom. They, I I don't remember exactly what they said, but I remember they were squeezing my legs. I didn't really feel it, and they, I you know, they were talking, and I noticed that there there was something about the tune of their voice and the rate of their voice that changed when they were feeling and squeezing on my legs. And next thing I know, I see some shears come out, some scissors, and they're cutting my pants off my pant legs, just cutting them open. Believe it or not, I really had not noticed my legs until then. But my legs were swollen like water balloons, and it looked like a big, long water balloon. And what had happened was my legs had gotten, remember I said my wounds kept bursting open, and that when I was last week I shared how Flies are always swarming because they kept me in theater, and I'm still trying to, you know, do my mission because there was no one else there to do it. And my commander said he wasn't going to let me leave because they needed me. If they had to wheel me out in a wheelchair, they'd wheel me out in a wheelchair, which they did. But my my wounds, remember, my wounds were sewn closed by special forces in the field. It wasn't meant to be permanent, and sure enough, it wasn't permanent because they kept bursting open. And I'm bleeding, and the water there isn't the best, and I remembered I would try to wash myself at night because I had a you know problem standing up because I was slowly becoming paralyzed, but it hadn't dawned on me. And by the time I got to home station, I had become almost completely paralyzed in my legs. And... What had happened was, I guess, between the, the wounds breaking open and being in this environment and, and doing my trying to do my job in that environment, my wounds had somehow gotten infected, and the infection had manifested itself in my legs by them swelling up and having a lot of stuff. You know, I won't go into here because it was when I looked at my legs, I realized how gross they looked. And for some reason, they had allowed my family, uh, you know, my mom had, had come and I had, I had small children. They had allowed my family, they didn't allow my children, but the adults, they had allowed them to come into the room. And when they cut my, my pants off and my wounds became visible, because remember, no one really knew what had happened to me because of where I was and the blackout and whatnot that kept me over there and I didn't come to land school like other people. I came directly from the combat theater. 
So the reason why they were all the people were around me poking and prodding and asking me questions, they're trying to figure out what my injuries were. They could look at me and tell there was something, and they knew that there was something seriously wrong with my leg. And when they cut my pants off, and they, you know, you could see it. And they, you know, took blood and they did other stuff. And then eventually, you know, they, when they cut my pant legs open, there was loud gas from my family and even some of the medical staff. Heck, if I would have thought about it, I probably would have made one too. And so they got my family out of there, and I remember the looks on their face. I actually remember the look on their face. So even up to this point, I still hadn't felt any pain. So when they, after a while, they tell me, they, they take a, uh, like a round wheel with little sticker things on it, and they're rolling it on my my feet, and they're asking me, do I feel anything? And I, I tell them no. And they ask me to wiggle my toes. I'm not able to wiggle my toes. I'm not able to lift my my foot off the table. And that's you know that's when I realized, oh wow, I'm I'm paralyzed. And this is on the fourth of July. And they say we're going to have to clean your wounds up, and we're going to have to you know check it out and see what's happened. And for some reason, around where the wounds were, were hard. You could almost knock on it almost knock on it like that. And what they were looking for is they thought I still had shrapnel in my leg. Heck, I thought so too because when I'm there, I could feel, I could feel the hardness. And it's like like knocking on wood hard off, minus the skin and the flesh on top. So talking about having to cut, my, cut me open and take out the uh, the shrapnel and, you know, don't know what they're going to see. You know, they're telling me all this, what they're going to do. And finally, but before they do that, they say, well, we're going to have to clean you up. And I'm thinking they're going to give me a bath? <laughs> they, well, that was a long flight. And, you know, I had been out all that, up all the day before, actually working. And uh, they said, we're going to clean you up. And next thing you know, they took out these brushes. You know those things that you use to, like, clean your fingernails, those type of brushes? It was brushes that had the firm things like that on it. And they put some type of purplish, blue, red, antibacterial stuff all over my legs. And they spread it all over, and they got the gloves on. And remember, there's a bunch of people in there. And then they said, this, you, you, you might. Feel this, and the reason why they said I might feel it because it was going to get into the wound because they had to clean out the wound, and they went to scrubbing and brushing on me with those bristle brushes, and I could feel the pressure. I, I won't say that it, it hurt. I knew something was going on that that wasn't natural, and. And they were just furiously scrubbing. I mean, they were scrubbing hard, too. You wouldn't think they were scrubbing flesh, but they were scrubbing my flesh, and they were scrubbing hard. And, uh, you know, again, that's when I'm I'm seeing stuff that, you know, most people shouldn't see. 
and the way that they went at scrubbing it. I didn't. I thought they would be gentle with it, but now nah, they were aggressive with it. And it, and it took them a while actually to clean me all up, and they're telling me, "Wow, you're you know your legs are infected pretty bad. We're going to have to give you antibiotics. We're going to have to give you some tetanus shots. We're going to have to do blah blah." And I'm you know I'm just laying there thinking, "Well, you know, do your job." Anyway, eventually they cleaned me up. They re-stitch me and they make sure that there's no more shrapnel in me and all of that stuff. And they take the x-rays and, you know, they, it takes them a while, but it actually goes a lot faster. I thought mainly because there were so many people. And I remember thinking I felt bad for them because the hospital was almost closed down and I noticed that as I was being wheeled through, except for all the people who were working on me. <laughs> and once they got done with me, I actually didn't have to stay in the hospital. It's still July 4th in the daytime. And they put me, you know, they give me some clothes and, you know, hospital clothes, hospital gowns and stuff and socks. They put me in a wheelchair and they wheel me out to my family and some friends and they set up an appointment for the following week. And, you know, they help me in the car. The family takes me home. I get home. Now, there's stairs from the driveway that you have to go down to get to the house. Otherwise, you have to go, like, a long way around the yard, and it's on a, you know, it's, it's you know, an incline, and then you have to go down a decline and all that, and it's, you know, it's it's grass, and it's a wheelchair. And so some friends helped wheel me into the house, and, and I get into the house, and maybe that's when it really set in that I was home. And it's on the 4th of July. So I'm still not knowing my psychological condition. Awareness Day on June 27th and PTS Awareness uh, Month is the month of June. Well, I didn't know it at the time, but I actually had PTSD. And you know how I knew I had PTSD? is when those fireworks went off, something happened inside of me, and it, I just, I didn't flip out. It's just that something wasn't right. And I'm in the wheelchair, and I remember wheeling myself into the, into the main room, and it was sort of a big open space. And I get right in the middle of the room, and that's where I parked the wheelchair. And the family see me coming out, they're trying to figure out where's he going and why is he stopping in the middle of the room. And I didn't even know how to explain it to him. Heck, I didn't even realize it. I mean, I, I knew I was doing it, but I didn't quite understand why. And it actually wasn't until later. Because I had small children. They would, you know, children let doors slam and make a lot of noise, sudden noise. And when that would happen, I, it would get my attention. I would jump. So then the new rule of the house was, it's not like before when I said don't slam doors, but your father is home and he has a problem with you all slamming doors and letting the refrigerator's door close and the cabinet doors close. So this is not like before. You guys don't let the doors slam because it bothers your father. And my mother was there and she was telling him, you know, your dad is in there and you guys have to 
you, you can go about doing your things with you. And they listen. But I, that's when I realized I had PTSD. Well, I got diagnosed later because, of course, the family dropped a dime on me. I would have told the doctors, too. And I had a problem with loud, sudden noises. But it was the 4th of July. So when people talk about the 4th of July coming and they talk about it's their Independence Day, I talk about it being my Independence Day, too, but in two ways. So that's when I got on that freedom bird and came home. I didn't come home like I left, but I did make it back home. And the reason why I wanted to do this show today and share a little bit about my personal story with you was to let you all know and kind of to remind some, because the military is only about 1% of our country, as I've shared with you before. And of the military, only about 6% of us actually ever see combat. So 1% country serves. And then of that 1%, 6% actually sees combat. And that's a rough average there. And I saw combat. And I was different. And I had PTSD amongst my physical injuries and my paralysis of my leg. And then imagine what it's like when you don't know that you're paralyzed and overnight you find out that you're paralyzed. And, of course, I had PTSD from the incident that I didn't know I had until I actually got home. And then when it, I remember sitting there in the wheelchair in the middle of the room, and then that's when it dawned on me that I'm paralyzed. And I didn't know if I'd ever walk again. So if you add that on to what I was already experiencing with the fireworks and coming home and finding out, seeing my legs and finding out I'm paralyzed and all of this stuff, you know, it was a weight on me. And it's a weight on a lot of veterans. And so there was, there was no barbecuing that day for me. There was no hot dogs and hamburgers. There was no charcoal. You know, there was no time in the backyard. There was none of that. And so to July 4th, Independence Day, I wanted to use my story to remind you that there's somebody right now, and there will be somebody on July 4th, Somebody's brother or sister is going to be standing watch. They're going to be on the wall, guarding and descending. Wherever they are, but ultimately it means they're guarding and defending us back here in the state. And maybe they'll come back as they left, and maybe they'll come back changed. God willing, they'll come back. But we never leave our, we never leave our own, and they may come back different. And even though we'll be celebrating Independence Day, 
There's a lot of my brothers and sisters in arms who, though they are back here in the state, to a certain extent, they're in a prison. They're still on the battlefield because their post-traumatic stress disorder, when certain things happen and trigger it, it takes them back to that moment, whatever that moment was. And then they're still on the battlefield. So they don't really get a 4th of July. They don't really get to be free from their PTSD. I'm very thankful that because of the support of my family, my friends, coworkers, people on the base that I didn't even know who cooked for me, who came to see me and spend time with me and offered to take my children places and the love and support of my family. I was able to get back, not only learn how to walk again, and that, that was a lot of work, but also it gave me freedom from the battlefield. Now, I still have PTSD, and, and I found out that I had a traumatic brain injury So, no, I'm not 100% like I was when I left, and I'm not able to walk for long periods, stand for long periods. I have problems bending and kneeling and even getting on my knees in general. So, no, I'm not like I was. And there's so many others who serve who are just not like they were. And then there's a new normal. Even though my family saw my wounds, they healed. I have scars, but they healed. So I wasn't able to walk. Now I can walk. I'm not able to run. I guess I could a few steps, but there's a price to pay. And there's always a price to pay for freedom. And there's somebody in America, from America, maybe someplace else right now, that's paying that price. And on July 4th, when you're barbecuing and you're having a cold one, and you're spending time with family and hopefully you're not working, still someone out there paying the price. War has a cost. Freedom has a cost. And as we celebrate Independence Day, and it's in remembrance of the freedom that were earned, freedom is something that really has to be earned every day. And it has to be fought for every day. Whether it's in arms or just fighting to ensure that we keep our rights. Freedom is something that we have to fight for, and it's a, it's a steady struggle. Some of us, you can see the physical struggle because we serve, but then there's plenty of folks who are struggling right here. I mean, think about it. For me, I never knew what it was like to be, be disabled until I was in that wheelchair, and those folks, whether they served or not, they have to live. And they have a struggle because they don't always get treated right because they're in the wheelchair and they're a little lower. They move a little slower. They may not talk as well as everyone else and at the same rate. They may not be able to understand what other people are talking at a normal rate. One of the other things I learned is really the goal of us as citizens of this country towards another a responsibility even, is to help each person, no matter where they are in life, reach their fullest 
potential. Now, maybe their 100% isn't my 100%, and my 100% isn't someone else's. But it's that we strive and we have what we need to reach that 100%. Now, that's freedom. That's independence. So hopefully when you see someone else who maybe doesn't get around as well as you for whatever reason, whether it's combat, they were born with it, there was an accident that happened, a sickness, an illness, something. Do you remember that story of me at the airport? When someone may not act as you would expect them to act, maybe they have a reason for it. We never know what another person has gone through until you walked in their shoes or, in my case, in my boots. I wanted to do the show today so that not to be a downer on celebrating Independence Day because I plan on celebrating even if I have to get me a hanger untwisted and stick a dog on it and hold it over the stove, (laughs) I'm going to have me a hot dog because I can. I couldn't 20 years ago, but I can now. So I'm going to enjoy it to the fullest extent. But in enjoying that, I am going to take a moment. No, I'm not going to stand on the corner with a 40 and pour a little bit out for the fallen. So I might. I will sit back and remember and reflect on my journey, the journey of others who were evacuated before me. I'll never forget them and those who didn't make it back except in a coffin, a flag-draped casket. But I also remember the thousands since 20 years ago who didn't make it back other than that flag-draped coffin. And maybe the tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, who've come back with injuries, whether physical and or emotionally. Freedom isn't free. Someone is always paying the price. Sometimes the cost is a little higher. In this country, as we celebrate our Independence Day, let's take a time to remember those who paid a price because all who serve, they paid some. But there's some, they paid it all. Take a moment to remember them. And then let's take a moment to remember those who came back injured, whether physical, mentally, or both, because they're still struggling. Their battle isn't over. I pray that one day that they'll be at least as free from that struggle as I am and that they'll get the treatment that they should get from the VA, from our government, and for that matter, from our community. No, you don't have to thank me for my service. That's your personal choice. And if you do, I will welcome it, and I will appreciate it. I can tell you what, another great thing is when you don't send America's treasure to fight wars that we don't need to fight. And if it is a war, 
that we need to fight, that those brave young men and women that we send, we send them with everything that they need to successfully complete their mission and as many of them as possible turn home upright. That's a huge thank you. Not so much saber rattling, but have our folks really consider whether they need to send us. Today's show was called The Unique Meaning of the Fourth of July for One Vet, and that one vet is me. Many of you know my story. They didn't medical board me out of service. I had a good doctor, and he said he would do what was necessary to help me stay in and do a full 20 so I could retire, which I did, and even got called back to active duty service and did six more. And I retired with 80% disability. And because it was combat wounded, you know, there's a few benefits to come with that too. Because it was post 9-11, there was some educational benefits that came with that. And those are all great things, but I still don't have full use of my legs. I have scars all over my body because it just wasn't my legs that were injured. But, you know, you learn to live with it. I don't have an issue with sounds anymore. I mean, there's still some things, you know, there's definitely some traits of PTSD there, but it's not like it was before and definitely not as bad as some. But I recognize that it potentially will be something I will carry with me forever because there's things that I saw that humans simply shouldn't see. You shouldn't see it with other humans, and for sure you don't want to see it in yourself. I still remember looking inside of my leg because that's how deep and broad those wounds were. I remember seeing the little spurter that was trying to drain my energy and my life away and trying to hold, squeeze it shut because I didn't have any bandages or anything, how slippery it was and how when I somehow finally was able to get it and just hold it, I wasn't able to, you know, I wasn't able to go anyplace because I was my knee I couldn't find a little squirter, but I just jammed my finger in in the hole in my knee to try to slow down the bleeding and so my left hand was in my right thigh, and my right hand finger was shoved into my left knee hole. <laughs> I guess I looked a sight when they but I'm home. And I've had great experiences since I've been home. Country though is not always the best. We may not always get the best leaders as you see from our two presidential hopefuls, but we're not perfect. But we become more perfect with the more of us who are involved. Our military becomes better because the more of us who are involved. The service to our veterans become better because you put pressure on your elected officials to ensure that the VA has everything it needs to do its mission for folks like me and others. You know, I, I 
after retiring, as many of you know, I didn't get paid for the first year because there was a, a snafu with the VA. And many of you know that I'm not getting my pay now because there's been a fiduciary appointed because apparently my medical records got mixed up with somebody else's. And for six months, I've been trying to get that fixed, and it's still not fixed. I've been blessed to keep my house and eat every day, but it is something that is taking its toll. We have to pressure our elected leaders, our elected officials, to do right by our veterans because things I've been through with the Veterans Administration, heck, if I didn't have PTSD, it might cause some type of PTSD outburst. And for those who do have it, I just don't know how they could have survived some of the things I've gone through with our Veterans Administration. So there's my story. There is the unique meaning of the 4th of July for one vet by yours truly, Rodney Smith. I do want you all to have a safe, sane, healthy, and happy and filling 4th of July celebrate night Independence Day. And as you do that, always keep in mind that there's somebody, they're not eating hot dogs, they're standing watch, some faraway land so that you can live the life that you live here. Give thanks. And, yes, if you see a vet, you want to thank a vet. By all means, do so, but you don't have to. Giving us the support that we need when we're in the theater, when we're just doing our jobs, period, we're in the uniform, and for sure when we come home and we hang up that uniform. That's plenty thanks right there. So God bless you. God bless America. And enjoy and have a happy 4th of July. Until next week, 1230, West Coast time, I guess I will see you then. Bye-bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.